Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Hello and welcome. Another episode on its way here of Inside Football with Rick Venturi. Thanks for joining in. I'm Matt Taylor and the Colts are back to work following the bye week. And now it's all about getting ready for the home stretch of the regular season. Four games to go and up next are the Minnesota Vikings for the Colts here in week number 15. RV, welcome back again, man. I know you're kind of feeling under the weather a little bit from that trip against the Dallas Cowboys. So the bye week, I'm sure, treated you right, but also trying to get uh, get well in terms of illness that's going around here in central Indiana this time of year. Yeah, I really got hit with it, and uh, it did come at the right time. I mean, it's given me some time uh, to recover. It just kind of hit me like a, like a ton of bricks, mm-hmm. but... Uh, you know, we'll get through it, and we're getting a little bit better every day. Well, a lot to get into. Let's talk about, you know, sort of a recap of, of where the Colts are at 13 games in. As I said, four games to play coming off the bye. So before we jump into the deep end on the on the Vikings, let's talk about the Colts at 4-8-1, and one, and certainly at, at, at this point here as we sit here and talk now, out of the playoff picture at the moment inside the AFC. But 13 games in, let's talk about why, Rick, the Colts have lost eight games. Can you give me the common denominators on why the Colts are at where they're at right now. Let's start first on offense, some of the common denominators that have contributed to eight losses for the Colts. Well, you know, you're exactly right. And what I would like to see, you know, particularly coming off this bye week, I would really like to see the coaching staff and this team come together and say, these are, these are the issues that have killed us. These are the reasons we've lost eight games, but this is what we're going to show drastic improvement on in the last month. I, I think that's the way to look at it. I, I don't think there's any question that the number one problem, if you look at the issues on offense, is that point total. Yeah, you know, being number 30 uh, in the league in point total just isn't going to get it done. I think it all started from the beginning with number two, you know, the rush statistics. We just haven't been able to run the ball. We've gone from the number two team uh, in rushing in 21 to the number 25 team uh, in 22. We haven't been able to establish Jonathan for, you know, several reasons, but I think that is critical because that was our identity and everything, you know, kind of spun around that. I think number three, and it kind of goes hand in hand with uh, lack of the running game because when you're not running the ball on first down and you're putting yourself in a lot of disadvantaged second downs and then it just like dominoes you go into disadvantaged third downs is the amount of sacks 46 you know which leads the league number 32 in the league um, you know in which a lot of fumbles occurred in those situations Um, but you know we went again from a top 10 team in protection uh, you know, to the very last team in the league. And you just, you know, when you start to add those. And then, you know, the, the actually to cap it off, number four, and at the end of the day, if we if we just, and I think you and I have talked about this, I think we talked about it on Monday and you brought it up, if, if we would have just cut this in half, we yeah. would probably be in the hunt. Yeah. 
and that's when you add to the you know lack of running game, lack, and then the 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 sacks is the giveaways. I mean, you know, 32nd in the league uh, in giveaways. You know, we go from you know the top team in the league and in in, uh, in number one in turnover differential to the very very bottom in turnover differential, and you know that's really killed us. And they've come at such opportune times. You know, they've come on their side of the 50. Um, you know, in the red zone, um, you know, at a, at a point in the game where we were going to win it. I think of two, I think of the Jonathan Taylor fumble um, against Philadelphia where we had taken over the game momentum-wise. And even on the fumble itself, all, all he's doing is fighting for extra yardage. You know, he's busting through there on a short yardage, and the ball comes out and it changes the game. And then I think of the Pittsburgh fumble, an unforced error, just an exchange fumble on first and goal on the one-yard line against Pittsburgh when you're going to go ahead and put them away. So, again, you know, it's a, the point total is a culmination of the other three, rushing, uh, sacks, and giveaways. And those are the four areas that we really want to see improvement. I, I don't expect you to go from the bottom to the top, but I want to see substantial improvement in those areas. All right, then how about on defense? Because, I mean, that unit's been pretty good. It's been yeah. solid. It's been consistent. But, yes. you know, it, it hasn't been dominant or elite or, or whatever, you know, verb or adjective you want to use. There's still areas of improvement there for the Colts' defense in the final four games. Where would those be for this unit down the stretch? Yeah, and I think this defense was on its way to be an elite defense, you know, it was in it, it, it's been in the top five. You know, it's been in the in the in the top tier in terms of fewest points. Uh, but it's kind of hit the wall in the last, I want to say, three weeks to four weeks, three and a half weeks. And, and I think the things that dramatically have changed in that period of time, which has really cost us, is we have really slid down the hole in red zone defense and. You know, we've gone back down to 27. At one time, we were up there. Right. And I realized that a lot of our, you know, we're in the red zone a lot because our offense has put us in the red zone a lot. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to be great on defense, you've got to turn those sevens into threes. That's part of just, it, yeah. We, yeah, that's part of it. And, and we just haven't done that as well. Um, I think number two, and I was praising this team at midseason. I mean praising them. Uh, you know, we had gone from 29th in the fourth quarter points given up. Uh, we had gone up, and we were in the top five. We have really slipped. You know, in the in the last uh, three fourth quarters, uh, we've given up seven touchdowns, and so you know now we've uh, we've dropped down to uh, 23. So, you know, red zone fourth quarter defense has slipped on us, and then all season long, we we just haven't gotten takeaways. I mean, and I, I think some of that is situational. You know, we haven't played with hardly any leads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been down one score, two scores, and it's, it's hard to take it away when teams are taking the air out of the football, but at the end of the day, it's another dramatic statistic. You know, we're down from number two takeaways in 21 to number 29 and 22 and that's you know that kind of tells it all and then I think in I can give you the numbers in terms of yardage but in I can't give you a critical down situation but I felt it I think that we've really lacked the ability to control um, the movement quarterbacks the guys that have kept drives alive 
and and most of them we know going in because they're terrific athletes. But you know, recently it's gotten worse. Um, obviously, Hertz just killed us in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pickett really killed us. Pickett killed us individually by keeping drives moving, uh, by moving outside or inside the pocket and making plays. And then really, Prescott made a couple big time scrambles against us. Uh, you know, and that, you know, particularly for the twenty first point which at that point in the game in the second quarter was a really tight game. So I think that, you know, rush plans, control of movement quarterbacks have been critical. So, again, those are the four areas. And ironically, at times we've been good there. So what we want to do is solid that up here in the last four weeks. You know, something else that's sort of crept up on the Colts that not a lot of people are talking about is, is rush defense. The Colts have allowed 177 rushing yards on average, and their last three games, you know, that was sort of the hallmark of, of the Matt Eberflus defense, and the Colts had done a pretty good job of that rushing defense slowing down uh, opposing running backs, but Ezekiel Elliott had some big runs, Tony Pollard had some big runs, so that rushing defense number is starting to creep up here a little bit towards the end of the season. You're exactly right, and a, and a lot of that is on the edge. To me, mm-hmm. we've really lacked a edge discipline both on the movement quarterbacks you know, and then last week we were stopping Dallas pretty good inside, you know, and then you, you're exactly right. Elliot and particularly Pollard just took us apart on the edge, you know, as the game went on. And so, you know, you, you do have to throw that in there. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about winning players or, or players that have really excelled this season on both sides of the ball coming uh, off of the bye. Some guys that can be winning forces, you know, winning factors for the Colts in these last four games of the season. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start with uh, Gilmore. I mean, I think he's had a great season. You know, he's had eight PBUs. He's had two picks. And in our four victories that we've had, he basically closed out every single game in the last series. You know, he is the closer. I think that he has lived up to the billing. Uh, You know, when we traded for him, we weren't sure what we were getting. Uh, We have gotten a tremendous player and a guy that – we're very, very comfortable in matching up against, you know, their very, very best player, uh, which there's always one critical guy. We're certainly going to see one this week. Um, I would say Gilmore, number one. And then two guys, I think, and not to slight anybody, but two guys that to me have had great seasons, have exceeded expectation tenfold. Um, and I'll start with Stewart. You know, I think that Stewart has become an elite interior lineman. I mean, 59 tackles, three sacks, you know, eight tackles for losses. He has been a disruptive force and a a nose tackle that plays with range, not just a a space eater. Uh, He has been a tremendous football player. Um, And I think we all saw him coming a year ago. I, I think he just continues to grow every week. I mean, if anything, the compliment to him Early in the season, all the runs were directed away from Buckner to him. If you look at it closely now, most of the runs are going away from him towards Buckner, yeah. you know, with a lot of double teams, which is, you know, that's kind of the compliment coming from the other team. And then the guy I think that goes hand in hand with him is Franklin. Um, you know, Franklin went from uh, what we knew was a special teams um, star. Uh, he's really become that middle linebacker hammer. 131 tackles, he's got nine for losses, PBU, sack, forced fumble. 
I mean, he has been one of our most productive guys in, you know, week in, week out. I think what he's brought to us, and not to demean our other linebackers, our other linebackers are very athletic and they play their roles well, but he brings to us what they don't, and that is a hammer inside, kind of a throwback, uh, my type of linebacker in the old days. This guy's a hammer, and yet he's not uh, stiff. We saw him go back and make a really good pass defense in the uh, end zone against the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. He's a tremendous leader, smart guy, you know, double major out of Syracuse. This is a real special guy that's really come on. You know, and then on the offensive side of the ball, I want to point out the two rookies because I think I'm not only going to point them out because of what they are, because uh, I thought they would be good. They didn't exactly start out great, neither one of them, but they have really come on, and I think they're so vital in these last four weeks. I, I, and it's not about development. I mean, I think they're guys that can be pivotal in us winning, and I don't think there's a game we can't win here at the end. I've looked at every single team, and that is Pierce and Woods. I mean, Pierce has really become – uh, a game-breaker on the outside. We thought he would bring that, but he has really done it lately. You know, the 45-yard ball last week on the go route, um, catching the fade for a touchdown. He's shown us what we have to have. I think we have to utilize him. I'll get into the must this week against Minnesota, how to use him. I think the the key number where he stands out compared to the rest of our receiver core is 15-9, and that's what you have to have, 59 per catch, is you've got to have those guys that are gaining yards with the catch, that are making things happen, that are playmakers. And I'm going to say the same things about Jelani Woods. I mean, you know, again, started out, has even had some injury problems. But when you look at him now, you know, he scored three touchdowns in the very recent, in the re- recent past. You know, he's now got a 12-1 average. So if you put those two guys together, they're 1-2 in terms of uh, yards per catch, which tells you they're gamers. They can get downfield. Pierce can get downfield on the outside. Jelani on the inside. Both of them are red zone threats. I think Jelani's just scratching the surface because of his great size and girth inside that 20. And so, again, I think not only do we have two gems here uh, that are going to develop, I think they're critical to winning at the end. And then, I think we have two special teams gems. I, I don't think we could ask more out of McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, you pointed it out last week, three straight 50-plus um, kicks, mm-hmm. um, you know, his 22 of 27. Um, you know, he's just been outstanding, really. He's just an outstanding guy that you, you know, you count on. And our offense has faltered so much, but he has been able to make long field goals to certainly keep games close. And then I got to take my hat off to guy that I think just excites all of us as flowers. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah, you know, yeah. He, you know, he had the long of eighty nine. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's averaging thirty three. Yeah, and you know, he's you know, we liked him. I really like flowers. I like flowers as a corner. I said that, and he did make our team in the summer. I thought he, he was the sleeper, but he is really explosive. And you know, I think you and I sometimes. Because our offense is stalled so much, we basically say take it out no matter how deep it is because he is just fearless and he has a chance. So I, I'm just going to point out those seven guys. There's a lot of guys that you know I could be pointing out. But I, I think those seven guys are also critical mm-hmm. to success that we might have here in this last month. 
All right, well, let's talk about the task at hand. Let's turn the page. The bye week is officially over. Up next are the Minnesota Vikings. The Colts are putting in work for them. And they check in at 10-3 and on the season here, Rick, and they lead the NFC North. A win for them on Saturday over the Colts would clinch their first division championship since 2017. Everybody else in that division is under 500. That's why they can clinch so early here in the season. They're guided by first-year head coach Kevin O'Connell. He spent the last couple of years as the offensive coordinator for the Rams and won a Super Bowl last season. He needs one more win, in fact, to tie Dennis Green for the most wins by a Vikings head coach in their first year on the job. And he can also join Green as the only Vikings head coach to take their team to the playoffs in their first season. Minnesota, as you said, Rick, um, you know, leading into this sort of off the air, they might be one of the more deceptive elite teams uh, record-wise the NFL has seen in a long time. That's because they set an NFL record this season by winning their first nine one-score games. So nine of their ten wins have been by eight points or less. They've won five games by five points or less. And when they've lost, they've been blown out. They've lost three games by an average of 21 points per game. So they're over seven games, or they're seven games over 500, I should say, with a minus one point differential. And they are the first 10 and three team in NFL history to have a negative point differential. So um, certainly a perplexing team. Offensively, they've got a lot of elite talent on it. Kirk Cousins at quarterback, Dalvin Cook at running back, superstar wide receiver Justin Jefferson, a reliable and tough possession receiver Adam Thielen on that side of the ball. Defensively, we'll talk about it when we get into the must. That's where they've struggled. Right now they rank 32nd, dead last in total defense, and they've allowed at least 400 yards in five straight games, which is a dubious franchise record so rick what else stands out to you about the vikings heading into week 15 here on the big picture yeah you know there there isn't any doubt about it i mean you've kind of chronicled it there you know i think you i think you have to give it to kevin o'connell uh i think a couple things that he's come in and done um you know i think he's kind of changed the atmosphere there uh it had it had grown very harsh and cold um under zimmer uh, and I think that he's changed that part of it. Uh, you know, he's a young guy with some juice. Um, and I, I think in that respect, the team has flourished and they've adapted to it um, environmentally anyway. Um, you know, they're a tale of two cities, really. Um, their offense is very, very explosive. Um, you named it. Uh, they have two sensational players. Um, you know, uh, Dalvin Cook is a big-time runner. You know, he has 950 yards rushing. Uh, and then if you think he's a handful, uh, you look at Jefferson, who has 99 catches, um, who is in the conversation, if not the best uh, wide receiver in the National Football League. He is just a sensational player that can do it all. And, you know, I think that O'Connell has done a good job um, with Cousins. I, I think Cousins is solid to good, not great, but I think he's had a really efficient year. Um, they've, got, they've done a good job. One of their other uh, terrific stats, you know, is they're right at the top of the league in the, um, you know, in the turnover differential. They're number four at plus six. So they've been very efficient with the quarterback and they've been very careful with the football. They just haven't turned it over a lot. 
Um, you mentioned it. They've got some complementary players to those two guys. Uh, Thielen is a very, very solid two. Uh, they acquired Hawkinson, who's a very, very talented guy, and he's kind of become the number two um, even over Thielen in in terms of third down uh, behind Jefferson. So, I mean, you know, their offensive line really came apart last week in the loss, and I was waiting for that to happen. Now they're going to get Darisaw back this week. They've been playing without him, and it's really hurt them at left tackle. You remember Darisaw from the draft there a couple years who was a guy we were interested in. And so offensively is explosive and good stats. Um, you know, like you said, number 10 in the league in scoring. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, they're horrendous, and they're horrendous getting more horrendous. Um, you know, they claimed, uh, like all of us do, that they were a bend-but-don't-break team, mm-hmm. you know, that was able to hang on in the red zone and keep the point total at least winnable. Uh, but in the last five weeks, uh, they're really breaking. It's not bend and don't break. They're really breaking. In the last five weeks, Matt, they've given up over 400 yards yeah, yeah. Uh, every week. And then last week, it was you know kind of hit rock bottom against the Lions in that it was not only 400 plus, but no sacks, uh, no turnovers. I mean, they just they just really got destroyed. So, I mean, I I think that's their issue now. You know, and on, on the big picture, the couple things they do do is despite all those negative statistics, as you said, 32 in the pass, uh, 32 in total defense, one thing they do do is they can take it away, and that's kind of saved them for a long time. They were, you know, I think they're number eight in the league in takeaways. And then they have two rushers that if they gain advantage, which they're having trouble lately, but if they gain advantage, you know, then you have a, a couple key rushers that can really make the difference you know, in in Zadarius Smith and in Hunter, and I'll get into those guys into the mix. So, I mean, those are the issues. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce his name right because I haven't had a chance to visit with you yet, but they have a real dangerous return man in uh, Nawagu, and I don't know exactly how he says that, but he is. Kine and Wanwu. And Wanwu, his very, very dangerous return guy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those are are the highlights. The Venturi barometers are kind of give you the mixed bag. Yep. In points given up, they're number 24, which is bad. In turnover differential, they're number four, which is really good. And then their QBR is decent. He's right in the middle at 17 at 53-3. So, you know, there's reasons for them to, uh, you know, to have won 10, and, and, and there's reasons that they shouldn't have won 10. Right. They found ways to close games out. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. you got to win ugly. It doesn't matter how you get them. you just right. got to get them. Let's roll out the blueprints for the Colts when the Vikings have the ball. Let's start there because the Vikings are a very consistent offense, guided by Kirk Cousins. He ranks seventh in the NFL this season in passing. They're 10th in scoring, 24 points per game, pretty good inside the red zone. And they're a team that won't beat themselves. They only have 14 turnovers all season. They're 9-0 and this season when they win the turnover battle. 
Cousins in his 11th season in the NFL threw for a season-high 425 last week in their loss against the Lions. He ranks fourth in passing yards in team history. His main target, young superstar Justin Jefferson. He had 223 receiving last week against the Lions. That was a team record and the most receiving yards in a game all season. He's in his third year out of LSU, holds the NFL record for receiving yards by a player in their first three NFL seasons. Simply remarkable, 4,500 yards for his career, and he leads the NFL in receiving yards so far this season. The running game goes through Dalvin Cook now in his sixth season. He has the fourth most rushing yards in franchise history and the fifth most rushing yards in the NFL since the start of last season, although they're not running the ball very effectively here as of late. I'm sure you're going to get into that here in just a second. Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson at tight end, really good complimentary pieces in the passing game for Cousins. So what else do we need to know about the Vikings on offense going in to this game in week 15 yeah no you hit it on the head I mean they're they're winning because they take care of the football and this has been a very very efficient season uh for Cousins I I, I will always say good not great I think you know where I'm coming from on Cousins mm-hmm. because we've done games with him before um you know I think when you look at this offense it's kind of important to understand what is the offense. And when you look at O'Connell, he is a disciple of uh, Sean McVay and Jay Gruden, John's brother, when they were together in Washington. And what he's done, his offense looks like a combination of uh, Mike Shanahan and uh, John Gruden. It really does. It's a combination of those two concepts. And by that I mean... The Shanahan influence, which runs through uh, McVeigh, is the zone runs, uh, you know, the zone runs, um, basically, and then the play actions and the bootlegs. And, and Cousin runs a ton of bootlegs, just a ton of bootlegs. And, of course, the zone runs go through Cook, as you said. And it's, it's kind of that combination on first down it's a it's a Mike Shanahan type of team, zone run, bootleg, play action shot, you know that kind of stuff. And then if it if they get in a little bit more of passing situations, you know then it's kind of the Gruden family, which comes from Walsh. Um, you'll see a lot of bunches, a lot of tight splits, coveys on both sides, and stacks you know, in crossing routes, and they'll, what I call compress, get the defense down, and then expand back out. You'll see the defense really tighten down, and then you'll see Jefferson run a big corner to get to the outside, and that's kind of the West Coast version, and, you know, Cousins is good in that situation where he's getting back and, you know, really releasing the ball quick, and uh, so that that's kind of the combination structurally uh, on on really what they do now, you know, talent wise, it, it, it's really simple. Now, don't get me wrong; they have good players, uh, but it's two guys. It's two guys you have to stop, and one guy you have to affect. You know, and you know, I'll get into the must from that standpoint. And you know, the first thing you have to do, just think as we start this in terms of must. Think of one hundred and one thousand. Okay, and one thousand is the rusher. Okay, that's Cook. He's at 950. If you add his passing yardage, he's well over 1,000. And then 100 uh, is the receptions for Jefferson, who's at 99 with a whole month to go. 
So if you think if we have to stop the hundred and the thousand, you don't have to be a rocket science after that. And the first thing we got to do is we can't let the running game get going because I will tell you this, this offensive line, if they get behind like they get they did against the Lions and they start have to throw and catch up and they don't have their zone running game and they don't have their play action and everything's dropped back, they fall apart. They fell apart last week up and down the line. You could take a number. You can go from O'Neal on the right, you know, to the right guard, to the left tackle. I mean, Detroit just mauled them up front. So what you can't do is let them get that running game going to cook. And that means we have to be really tough inside. We have to control that line of scrimmage. And then kind of what we talked about before in in our what do we have to do to get better, we have to be much more disciplined on the edge. Because Cook is a home run hitter now. He's He's a guy that can shake it and bake it. I mean, you know, he's 950, and he's also 4.5, and he has eight touchdowns. So I think the number one must is we can't let this running game get going at all. And now 1A, or I'll call it number two, but it's 1A because you have to do this simultaneously, is we have to schematically take away Jefferson. Um, You know, as as much as I – as much as I like Gilmore, and I think he could do a good job, you know, in parts of this game, what they're going to do is they move. They do a great job of moving Jefferson. This is the Bill Walsh stuff. They will do a great job of moving Jefferson around so that you, can, you can't ensure that one guy has him. And then they're going to line him up in bunches and stacks so that you can't get your hands on him. You can't get the free excess. He, they will get him free access into the secondary. So you have to have a scheme where you always have a trap on him. Okay, you can't – if you think you're going to play him all day, then you need to be coaching on Friday night, not, not on Sunday afternoon. Is it, The guy's 99 catches, 1,500 yards, 15-2, and six, and six touchdowns. So, you know, like I said, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand – is you have to stop Dalvin Cook and you have to stop Jefferson, period. And I believe you can stop those two schematically, but remember, it's got to be schematically on Jefferson. I don't think you're going to be able to play him one-on-one all day. And then number three, I mean, you got to handle the, the Hawkinsons, particularly Hawkinson becomes important on third down. Jefferson's number one on third down, Hawkinson's number two, but you got to handle him with talent and physicality. You know, same thing with Thielen. You're going to have to double the other guy, so you're going to have to handle those two guys that way. I think the other thing, and I've kind of mentioned it in the philosophy section, is you really have to do a good job of this week against their stacks and bunches and coveys and motion and all that stuff because they're going to get you to lose men if you're not careful. You have to be able to sort all those things out. And then number four, and really this should go with one and two, again, as I said, you stop two guys and you affect the third. You stop Cook and you, and you stop Jefferson, and then you affect Cousins and force him into a bad game. The first thing you got to do with Cousins, I've said this every time we've ever played him, wherever he was, is you have to close off his edges. He's an exceptional guy on the move to the outside on boots. He's made a living with this. You know, O'Connell coached him. 
he, O'Connell was the quarterback coach in Washington back in 217, and I can remember him playing back there for Jay Gruden, running those boots all the time. You've got to close off the edges and don't let him get out there because he will destroy you if you let him do that. Keep the pocket dirty. I do think that he's a competitive guy and he's a tough guy, but I do think he starts to back foot things. In other words, he will stop stepping into them if the pocket is dirty. Okay. The other thing I want to do against him and against this team, not just him, is I want to blitz the hell out of him, Matt. First of all, Cook is a poor protector, okay? You can run over Cook with a linebacker. And then the other thing is once you eat up the help for those offensive linemen, then everybody else is one-on-one. So I want to do that. Here's how I think of – here's what I think of Cousin. I think he's – you know, and, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but he's had more hits and more pressures than anybody in the league this year. So, I mean, they are porous if you get the advantage and take away their bread and butter. I've always thought in in uh, in Cousins that he's highly paid, he's often hit, okay, and he has the absolute worst face and body language in the league. So, you know, get up there and destroy him. And make that sour puss look bad all day. <laughs> I don't know where we go from that, but I love it. That's good stuff right there. That's that's on the field. That's also diagnosis off the field right there. Body language with Rick Venturi here on Inside Football. All right, well, let's shift over to the Vikings on defense. And as we said, this unit might be their uh, – it might end up being, I should say, their Achilles heel because – um, you know, the offense is putting up points. They're finding ways to win close games. But the Vikings come into this game dead last in total defense, giving up over 400 yards per game on average. They're also dead last in passing defense, giving up 287 through the air a game. And they've allowed five straight quarterbacks to throw for at least 300 yards. That's also a dubious franchise record, and they're giving up big plays on a consistent basis. They've allowed 51 completions over 20 yards. That's second to last in the NFL. That might be good news for a Colts offense that's trying to push the ball down the field here in the last four games of the season. But despite all of that, Rick, they've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball, individually speaking, right? Daniil Hunter, seven sacks. He's ninth or has the ninth most sacks among active players since 2016. Uh, Zadarius Smith, a defensive end, leads the NFL with 70 quarterback pressures, 49 quarterback hurries. Uh, Jordan Hicks, Eric Kendricks, two really good veteran linebackers, Patrick Peterson and Harrison Smith, veteran members in that secondary. I mean, Peterson's gone to eight Pro Bowls. Smith's gone to six Pro Bowls. Rick, why have the Vikings been so flimsy on defense despite some big names on that side of the ball for them? You know, I think of of Tom Cruise's lines in Maverick when they ask him that question, and he said it's one of life's mysteries. (laughs) Good, good poll right there. I love it. it. it really is a mystery, and, I, and I'll tell you what a mystery on a little simple game that I play. When I, when, I, when I do the depth chart, and then I do the depth chart before I start looking at tape, and I have all the numbers and everybody in front of me, hand done, old school, number one pencil. And then when I finish, I go around and I give color codes to different people's blues for blue chip, green for really good. 
And then, you know, I'll circle guys that I think are solid players, maybe not great players, but solid. And on defense, I have seven circles. I mean, now that, that's, that, that's just kind of validating what you had to say. I mean, they, yeah. they have enough talent that they should be better than they are, but they, they have just really struggled totally, uh, and it's gotten worse and worse, and, and I think they've lost some confidence. Um, their scheme is very simple. Uh, I think that's a little bit of an issue. Um, they are, and, and, and I think it plays to our advantage, not just the fact that they have the poor stats, but I, I think the style they play really helps us. Um, they're basically an over-defense team, which we work against you know, every day in training camp. And every time that somebody stays in an over-defense against us, we have tended to run the ball extremely well. It, that's kind of been our wheelhouse, and so you know I'm hoping for that. I, I, I don't. They, they've got decent, you know, run statistics, but I think you know I think we can gash them there. Um, they will bring the nickel off the edge on first down to try to make that a little bit tougher, and so we've got to make sure we always are alert for Sullivan coming off that edge, number 39, on first down, and then they use uh, two change-ups. Uh, they'll get in the, um, the an even look, kind of a four-man even, and then Kendrick will walk up in the middle and, you know, kind of give you a five-man front to shut down the run with Hicks behind him. They normally play some kind of man-to-man coverage with that. They're not a good press team, uh, and that's one of the reasons if you're not a good press team, you're going to give up a ton of yardage like they do. Um, and then they will mix um, the, a big five in there. They will um, put different guys in there um, and get into a, a, a five-man double sink, which, you know, the way they're playing right now, and the, as much as we've struggled, I would think that they would do that right off the bat, uh, no question about it. And then on first down, they're very simplistic in the coverage. It's either a three-deep uh, or it's either a man-to-man free and even when they're blitzing, it's a man-to-man free. There's very little sophistication in the scheme, and so I, I think that really helps you. You know exactly what you're you're going to get. You're going to get like a 46 sky or a thief or something like that. Now, if you get a little bit longer situations, if they get ahead in the count, then they will give you um, some cover to, uh, but they really like uh, cover eight, which is a quarter quarter and then a roll week, or they'll do a reverse eight. They'll go quarters to the weak side and roll up on the strong side. So they'll mix those a little bit, uh, a little bit of Tampa, too, if they get ahead. If they get on third down, you'll get a little bit more man-to-man variations. Um, Up front on third down, the guy they move around is Darius Smith. I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, He's the guy they'll move around. He'll be on the edge, and Hunter will be on one edge, and then the next time you get on third down, they'll be in kind of a 3-2, and all of a sudden Zedarius will be inside. So he's a guy they're really consciously, um, you know, trying to get to. Uh, you're right about their talent. and uh, You know, their, the strength of their team is, of course, Zedarius Smith with nine and a half sacks and Hunter uh, with seven, you know, Hicks and, um, uh, you, you know, Hicks and, and Kendrick are, you know, very, very good linebackers. They have well over 200 uh, tackles together. Uh, Smith, who missed last year, last week, the 
The other Smith, Harrison Smith, um, is a playmaker. I think he has 10 pass breakups and five picks as the strong safety. You know, he's a perennial pro bowler. Bynum's not bad. Uh, Peterson. Now, Peterson got smoked last week with a double move by uh, Detroit, but he's been very solid. Uh, the biggest issues to me with them is their defensive interior is really just average, in my opinion. I think it's really marginal. And then their second corner, the guy away from Peterson, has really been an issue. Now, Evans, they were playing Evans. He went on injured reserve. Uh, Skelly played, and then they got Danzler back last week, who they like. But both Skelly and Danzler have really just been, you know, they've been worked over at that second corner position. You know, and again, their weakness is overall defense and pass defense. They have survived on two things, you know, takeaways and getting after the quarterbacks if they get ahead. I I mean, keeping them at a disadvantage is so important because this is a bad defensive team, period. They're schematically poor. um, They're disjointed. They don't play well together. They make mistakes. And then they really, even though I can put seven circles they don't have the ambient players, Matt. There's not, you know, I can put the circles, but I don't put any blue over there. There's nobody that, even though numbers are decent, there's nobody that I'm going to just lose a lot of sleep over. So, I mean, that is the issue. All right, the Colts' offensive must, okay? I think, number one, you've got to dominate first down, and and that's a mix. That's a mix of run, the quick rhythm. I like the RPOs, the play actions. Again, if they stay in that over defense, which they're gonna, you want to go right into that open side with Jonathan and just keep powering the three on the other side. If they go sink, just power the heck out of it. But again, keep the RPOs going with Matt. Keep the play action going. No question about that. But you've got to win first down, and if we're going to be successful, we have to establish Jonathan Taylor right off the bat to keep their defensive line on its heels. Uh, Number two, we definitely have to control the edges, particularly if, in fact, we get to second and long or third and long. Um, You know, there's no question that Smith and Hunter are very, very solid. You're talking about 17 sacks between the two of them. Hunter will always be on the edge, and Smith will be both on the edge and inside as a spinner. Uh, We've got to do a really good job on those guys we've had our issues we have to know when to help and don't let guys out there one-on-one don't let them a bad defense beat us with something that we know is our liability and their strength you just you can't let that happen coaching wise and then this is what you're going to expect this is something that we've shown all kinds of issues and they do pretty well and that's expect them to walk up on third down into those A-gaps with their linebackers, with Hicks, uh, you know, basically um, b- basically with Hicks in that situation and, and Kendrick. They're going to walk up there, and they're going to try to attract you, and they're going to then come smoking off the edge, and that's where we've had so much trouble. Teams that make us block inside, get us attracted inside, and then come off the edge. So mm-hmm. all that, number two, number one is run it, number two is protect it, really. Then number three, we've got to attack that two-corner, and I want to get after him with Pierce. Just like I said, Pierce last week on their weakest corner, same thing here. 
Um, you know, wherever Peterson's lining up, whether he's matching or whether he's staying on the right side, um, we want to go after the other guy, and we want to go after him a lot because that's how you get points. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's Skelly or Danzler. Both guys are limited and will give up explosive plays, and they'll both struggle with Pierce. And then I think number four, and I think this is the key, is in a game like this, we've got to take care of the ball. We've talked about this all, all season long. If there's one thing that's cost us this season, it's been giving the ball away. There's no doubt about it. Fumbles and picks have defined us and killed us in 22. And their strength really, other than the two great players at receiver and running back, is really turnover ratio. They've played clean. We have to play clean. We've got to beat the Vikings at their own game. Again, I think the remainder of this season, the last four, if we're going to make it happen, it's going to spin on our ball security. Could not agree more. I think that's why Matt Ryan has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder going into this final stretch yes. of the season, yes. trying to prove that he is not the player that you know, perceptionally everybody thinks that he is now at age 37. So definitely going to be looking out for that. All right, Rick, to close out here, the Colts have had the bye, and they've had time to reflect and heal and and get mentally prepared for the final four games, starting with Minnesota on Saturday. And like you said, the Vikings are good record-wise, but Jeff Saturday was right when he said that this is a very uh, winnable game coming up, and I know that you agree with that as well. I want to see the Colts battle. I want to see them play relatively mistake-free as far as the turnovers are concerned and see what they can do when they actually play efficient football and they don't hurt themselves in these final four games of the season. So what say you? What would be your message to the guys this week if you're inside that locker room following the bye week going into the home stretch? Well, this is how I feel about this. This is how I really feel about this, and I think it matters in the last four weeks. I think in the end, as you said, they've had time to reflect, to get well, and really to fix problems. And to me, this is a great way to start this final quarter of the season. I honestly believe this. You know, I may live to regret it. This, to me, is the worst 10-3 and team I've seen in a long time. But it would provide a great high-profile and confidence-building win for us not only coming down the stretch, but going into next season. It will come down to stopping Cook and Jefferson and pressuring Cousins, just like I said, and then putting together a balanced, efficient, non-turnover offensive attack to exploit a putrid defense. Mm -hmm. This is a battle of a good Minnesota offense versus a good Colts defense and a bad Colts offense versus a bad Minnesota defense. So, Something's got to give. That's all there is to it. This last month is about you, meaning you, the player, individually. How do you want to be remembered and your essence as a competitor? You can finish this thing strong and solidify your resume and propel the horseshoes into into 2023, or you can phone it in and then you define yourself for life. That fourth quarter at Dallas can never, ever be repeated. It has to be reversed totally and make it happen in Minnesota. Rick, great stuff as always. Inside football with the one and only Rick Venturi. Good to be back with you this week, Rick, after uh, not doing this in terms of breaking down the blueprints last week. So really, really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week and get well, man. Got to get you healthy for the stretch run. So 
Take some meds, get some good sleep, and uh, wake up healthy here the next couple of days. All right, Matt. All right, appreciate you right there. Rick Venturi, as always, for Inside Football this week, breaking down the Minnesota Vikings and the Colts looking for that marquee win here late in the season. And as always, for the latest on the Colts, you can check it out, Colts.com, the Colts mobile app, and be sure to subscribe to everything on the Colts audio network. For Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. Great stuff this week, and we'll do it again next week on another installment of Inside Football next Wednesday right here on the Colts audio network. So long.